0: My name is Justin LaRosa, and it is an honor to be present with you, worshiping this morning. Um, just so grateful to be with you and excited about uh, this series, God's Special Agents, which Sally uh, talked about a little bit. And what, what we really want to have happen during this series is for us to see the ways in which that we can have deeper faith, deeper courage, and deeper obedience so we too can be God's special agents in the world here and now. So let's pray. God, I pray that the words of the music, the words of the liturgy, the silence, the prayers would penetrate each of our hearts so that we could be love. In Christ's name, amen. So, before we dive into our story that you just heard about today, it'd probably be helpful to get a little context of what's going on. I know it was helpful for me as I was preparing uh, for the scripture today. So, Elisha, like Moses before him, is regarded as a chief pillar of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and there are many similarities to their stories. Uh, both are under wicked rule. Moses has Pharaoh. We hear about Ahab and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Both go out to the wilderness. Both fast. Both are fed by God's provision and miraculous in just enough kind of ways. And for the Hebrew people, Elisha is the new Moses. But here's the point for all those narratives. And here's the point if you forget everything else that I say that God is. Is in control. And God is with us. So, Elisha splashes onto the scene in Israel's history in the 9th century B.C. With significant impact. And we're going to show you up on the screen here in a moment. This is what he splashed into. We don't know a lot about him. But he comes out of kind of nowhere. And the kingdom of Israel is on the northern side. Uh, kingdom, and the southern is the kingdom of Judah. And so we're talking about the northern kingdom today, and Ahab is the king of the northern kingdom. So it's divided right now, so if you, for those of you that know Bible history, we know we have two kingdoms, north and south, and Elisha is up north. So King Ahab has a very dubious distinction, very dubious And to let you know what that is, I'm just going to read a couple of the preceding verses. So here it is. Ahab found it easy to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, Nabat's son. He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ephbaol, who was the king of the Sidonians. Ahab served and worshipped Baal. He made an altar for Baal in the Baal temple he had constructed in Samaria. Ahab also made a sacred pole, and here it is, and did more to anger the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of Israel's kings who preceded him. A dubious distinction indeed, that he would be remembered all the way to now as uh, being a pretty bad king. So Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom, with Jezebel at his side, leads the chosen people of God astray, leads them towards this worship of this other, of this other god, Baal. And here's what Elisha does. Elisha lets him know it, which is a dangerous kind of thing to do, is it not, to speak truth to power? But so, so right now, in the context of what's going on, is there's a huge drought, a huge drought that's really causing destruction all across the land and Elisha goes to the king and says "Um, this is your fault and no rain will come until I say which was a pretty strong thing to say and and saying that would have struck right at the heart of Baal worship because Baal or Baal Depends on how you pronounce it. But this God that they were all worshiping was the rain God that provided rain. And so, Elisha is saying, no, 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 no. It's, It's not that. It's not that. It's the God of Israel that is in control of everything. So, like good prophets that we know who speak truth and expose sin, they're almost always ...in danger of being killed. Almost always. And so, he heads to the wilderness. He hears the heads to the wilderness. You can kind of see on... ...if you can see that from up top or maybe on the screen... ...Samaria, a place that you know, Jesus walked through... ...that was hated later in the New Testament... ...the people of Samaria. Um, he, he takes this trip to the brook right over there. You can see that long kind of journey. So he runs. He flees to the wilderness... Because he hears that is what God wants him to do. And you know, if you look in the biblical stories, brothers and sisters, wilderness or desert always, always is necessary for the spiritual journey. Always. And perhaps it's something for us to learn there in that wilderness, or maybe it's something for us to unlearn. Because the desert is a place. Where we can't just rely on our own resources and our own human control mechanisms. We have to rely upon God for provision. And so perhaps that's what the spiritual journey needs at different points. And so Elijah goes there. There's another picture I'm going to show you just in a second. You can't see the bottom of it because it's so sunshiny outside, which is beautiful. But there's ravens down at the bottom feeding Elisha. And we're told in the scripture that miraculously... ...that these birds feed him twice a day. And not only is this just amazing because it's amazing... ...but it's also interesting because it would have impacted... ...the hearer of this scripture profoundly. Because number one, ravens were scavengers. They didn't even feed their own young. They don't even feed their own young. second, and maybe more significantly the Hebrew people saw ravens as unclean creatures. And so, God provides in the desert through very unlikely sources. So, in this first part, I wonder if there's some places in which you can identify. So, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Have any of you, any of you, I'd love to say. I know one has because I know her well. Ever spoken truth to power and felt persecuted? Anybody? Yes, you have. It's It's a vulnerable place to be. Now let's flip it around. This one's a little bit more vulnerable. Have you, like Ahab, ever had somebody call you out on your sin and the ways that you've fallen short? Anybody? You guys are lying. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. I know I have. When I have fallen short and somebody's called me out, usually a good friend, uh, that is a very um, vulnerable place. And then the other place is maybe there are some of you who are in the wilderness right now. Maybe there are some of you who feel very alone you know most of us have had some experience in the desert or the wilderness. And like Elisha we've had to try to flex our trust muscle. Try to rely upon God when our own resources were drying up. You Remember Elisha's brook was going down and down and down. And I imagine what he was going through as he was watching that kind of be taken away. Doubt probably had crept in. So, what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, is this story illustrates how God's special agent, Elijah, asserts powerfully that God is in control to Ahab. But then, here's the thing, then, he can't just say that. We can all say that, you know, Jesus Christ is really, really powerful in our lives and has transformed our lives. We can all say that. But here's the hard thing. We gotta live it like we believe it in the wilderness when times are tough. And so that's what we have to do. we got to trust that God is in control and trust that God is with us. And so his claim will be tested. And in Act 2, Elijah's situation goes from pretty bad to much, much worse. So the drought... Winds. Elisha's fed in the wilderness for days, but the water dries up. So, with no water and out of options, Elijah hears this call from God to leave and go to the town near Sidon, which would be like modern day Lebanon today. And so, why would this be important? Why would this be important? The hearers at this time would have heard this and went, "Man, they're sending Elijah into enemy territory." He was being sent into the very heartland of his adversary, Jezebel, and right smack in the middle of Baal worship. And you can see this journey. So he's down there at the at the brook, and he walks all the way past Lake uh, Galilee. And goes up to that town up there. It would have been like about 60-ish miles. A bit about a three day kind of walk. And if you can imagine him hearing that word. And then having to walk that journey. It would have been pretty big. And so if going to that town wasn't shocking enough. If that wasn't just enough of for him to be like, oh my gosh, really? He's told that he's going to be sent to a widow to provide for him. And widows in that time, I mean, she doesn't even have a name in the scripture, uh, were the poorest of the poor, the voiceless of the culture, and the least able to take care of themselves, let alone another person. The drought would have made that circumstance even more dire. And so, if that wasn't dramatic enough. Let's just, let's up the ante a little bit more. He's not going to be sent to a Hebrew. He's going to be sent to an unclean Gentile from the same ethnicity group as Jezebel and probably a worshiper of the God of rain, Baal. That's just astounding. And so I imagine this call From the wilderness, which was hard enough, into the heart of enemy territory, into a Sidonian woman, was not particularly comforting. I imagine the conversations that I would be having in my head with God and talking to God on the way there, or what he might have been questioning. Perhaps Elisha was questioning God's plan. Is God truly all-powerful? Maybe he had fears that he'd be left for dead or caught. Would God actually show up? He heard the, He heard the voice or the call. Would God show up so it shows it, it, it gives it like one line, but Elijah has like this uncanny willingness to just respond to god 's promptings. He just He just goes now we don't know much about that, but I imagine it was either his internal fortitude that was grounded in a true belief of the God of Israel, or he was really, really thirsty and really, really hungry. Or maybe some mixture of the two. Because, brothers and sisters, I have found in my own life, and I have found in the parishioners that I've talked to, that pain is a huge motivator for spiritual growth. Pain, let me say it one more time, is a huge motivator for spiritual growth. I remember when I first got sober and I woke up in a place I didn't want to be with people I didn't want to be, in a very hard place. I named that time in my life. I, ha- I was cult material, meaning I would have done anything that anyone said that could help relieve this pain. And I imagine that might have been the space or that might have been the backdrop that Elijah made that walk as he walked towards that town in Sidion. So, have any of you ever felt that way in your life where you're feeling like you're being obedient to God's call and then you start having a bunch of difficult circumstances kind of Rise up, or maybe it doesn 't even have anything to do with god's call, but you you think that you're, you're you're supposed to be doing something and then you start to do it, and then all these hard things start happening. ever have a talk with God about like really is this is this your plan this this is your plan? so this backdrop kind of brings us to when he meets the widow and i And I I spent some time really reflecting on this week, like picturing Elisha coming from the wilderness, probably looking all crazy and disheveled, um, coming to this poor, nameless, uh, unclean Gentile for water. And what was interesting about the scripture to me was she goes and gets it right away, no questions asked. Part of that maybe had to do with hospitality in that time, uh, water and bread were the amenities that they provided, but she goes and gets it. The scripture then doesn't tell us whether he drinks it first and then makes a second request or he, he makes a second request for bread, which then she resists a little bit. She, she describes her dire circumstances. She talks about not having any food. And she's planning her last meal. So to speak with her and her son. And that they plan to die. And you want me to make some bread from my flour and oil? But then Elisha makes this bold assertion. That the God of Israel will feed her. So he doesn't just trump Baal, uh, Baal over the water. He trumps and providing everything. He'll feed her and her son. And the prophet. Until the drought ends. That's the promise he makes. And he uses the most common one liner in the Bible. That I have found. it Which is. Do not be afraid. And some of us need to hear that in our lives right now. Don't we? Do not be afraid. So. The other thing that I find kind of interesting is he says, well, just feed me first and then we'll, you'll be provided for. That, that took a measure of pro- trust for her to, to do and it really didn't make much sense or at least it wouldn't have made much sense to me. So it's interesting that God chooses this woman with her background and her limited resources to sustain Elisha. But sending his people Is what God does. And you know where God sends them? You know where God sends his people? To unlikely places. And to unlikely people. God sends us. To make disciples of Jesus. To people. That we wouldn't be ever in relationship with. And in places that could be considered. Enemy territory. That is a truth of this story. And you know, the other thing that's true, and I think one of the points uh, that, one of my take-homes for this that I would offer to you, this this part of the story, is that as we individually, and as we as a body of Christ, as the people of God, trying to make God's love real and make disciples, we are not going to be sheltered from hardship and pain and suffering. We will be called to go where we don't want to go and to be in relationship with people perhaps we don't want to be in relationship with. But paradoxically, it is by going to those places and being with those people, we paradoxically have life. We paradoxically find and live out God's mission in the world and make No mistake about it, brothers and sisters. God is in control in our lives here and now. Even though sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And we could have some very good questions and evidence to the contrary. And so, this is the place in the service in Act 2 at the end where we're going to take up our offering. And like what happened in the story, God will use and take what is offered and multiply it over and over and over again. So, here we are in the last part of our, our story today. And if Elijah's trust wasn't tested sufficiently enough in the desert, or if it wasn't stretched enough when he went to, into enemy territory to a Gentile widow who worshipped probably Baal then in Act 3 now, it'll be tested to the brink. His, his trust in God's power and in his presence and provision will be tested more than ever before. And the, you know, the previous story outlined a little bit how they were all taken care of miraculously. You know, how this food and this uh, flour and oil was multiplied and I imagine they were just, after a while, just feeling like they could exhale, you know? Like, wow, this, this is, this has been so difficult, this, these circumstances, but we've been provided for. But then again, something else happened. And that can happen to some of us sometimes when we experience difficult circumstances and we just can't handle any more and something else comes and we don 't know um, we don 't know the, about the kid 's death we don 't know if it was sudden or we don 't know if it was due to the effects of lifelong poverty we just don 't know, but what we are told is that the widow believes she believes that her son was killed because of elisha 's presence and because of her own. Sin. And this would have been um, probably pretty regular back in those times. Um, We believe that bad things happen because of what we do or um, whatnot. So that wouldn't have been an out of character kind of belief. But it puts Elisha in somewhat of an awkward position. Here she's with this widow who's taking care of him and now she believes that it's because of his presence her son dies. And then also it puts God and Elisha, maybe not for God, but for Elisha in a little bit of an awkward position saying, how could this be your plan? You sent me to this place, this woman has taken care of me and now the child dies? Making sense out of the senseless is very difficult to do in a time like the, the, this. And so he asked for the son, which to me is a very puzzling request. And as I was reflecting, I was trying to think, did he know what he was going to do? I mean, did he know he was going to take this kid and go upstairs and ask? Or was he just so didn't know what to do and his next thing was, give me the son? So he takes, could you imagine, could you imagine this widow handing over this lifeless body of this kid to this prophet to walk up, walk up the stairs. And both of them, that must have been a really difficult time. They must have both had in their own ways anger and confusion and sadness. But what we do know is both of them in different ways Had to surrender. They had to surrender. And so there, Elisha went up to the upper room, it tells us, and throws himself on the child three times. Don't know what the significance of that is, but he throws himself on body to body, breath to breath, three times, and yells, Lord, my God, please give this boy's life back to him. And God does. And that's not the end. When the, he takes the boy down, the widow pro, proclaims that he is a man of God and that the word of God comes out from him. He, she is resuscitated in a different way because God resuscitated the boy and God resuscitated Elisha's belief in his power and God creates a new disciple. So, I can imagine that some of you are thinking, that's great, that's some miracles back in the old time, and God doesn't exactly show up like that for me. How does this apply to me today? And so, what I want to share with you is your mission. At each one of these sermons, we're going to be talking about what your mission is during this series. It's um, what we've prayed about, what the worship team has worked on. And I want to say first and foremost, brothers and sisters, you are special agents for God. We are special agents for God. Each one of you, the kids that are here, the adults that are here, the people who are young, the people who are old, the people who have lots to give, and the people who have nothing to give as it relates to finances, we all are called And we all are gifted and we are all needed in making God's love real and making disciples of Jesus. All of us. That's us. That's our mission. Second, you will be given enough for the journey. God's provision will be enough. And those promptings that we have, both as a church community and both as individuals when we're called to do things in our lives, they won't always be easy. And like Elijah, there will be times when each of us must speak truth to power. And we might feel persecuted. We might feel scared. And like Elijah, we will all encounter dire circumstances Maybe not in the exact same way. They might come in different shapes and different forms. But God will provide just enough to get by. And like Elisha, we, maybe not all of us, will be sent into enemy territory. But I would say all of us will be sent to people not like us. That's a gospel call. We will be sent to people that we never imagined we'd be in relationship with in places that we would never be expected to be called. And like God did with Elijah, God will provide. And last but not least, God, our understanding of who Jesus is and our triune God, brings new life, but we must trust And like Elijah, each one of us encounter death and suffering. And it will be hard in trying to figure out why this is in God's plan or if it's in God's plan or whether it's not will be difficult. It'll be hard to make sense out of that. But as we trust, as you trust, as we fake it till we make it, as we hold on to one another, for dear life, God will resuscitate people. God may resuscitate you in your life after a broken marriage or a broken relationship or an addiction. God will resuscitate people around us as we introduce them to the God that not punishes but gives us life. God will resuscitate people. And in and through us, as God's special agents, God will make God's love real. Because, brothers and sisters, as I said in the first one, and I said in the second one, really believe this. I do it. I don't always live it, but I believe it. God is in control, and God is with us. Yes, we have free will, and yes, we get to make decisions, and sometimes they aren't always the best ones, but God is with us. God is with us. And it sometimes is in enemy territory, and it sometimes in the wilderness, and it's sometimes in death or the brink of death that we not only find God's provision, but we find life. Let's pray together. God of grace and God of love, we give thanks for these stories. We give thanks for the ways in which you chose prophets, the way you chose your people the way you showed us how to love. And so as we go from this place, we, might we remember that you are in control even when there are circumstances that would say otherwise. May we believe it. May we live it. May we be loved. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.